What's up, everyone? This is episode 104 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. So I went to a card show recently. Yes, another one. Remember, Florida has card shows all over the place now. And I drove almost an hour and a half to this thing, and it felt like I spent something like $10 in tolls. So Florida has its its positives and negatives here. But, um, you know, I don't know how much I spent in tolls. But I went there. I bought one $30 card and two packs of penny sleeves. That was it. And then I drove another hour and a half back home. But it was fun. And there's an experience cost to this whole thing for me. I get to chat with people about topics I enjoy, so all in all, I don't mind. Now, while I'm at these shows, if possible, I like to talk to some of the different dealers and pick their brains. And obviously, some of them are more receptive than others. I don't really force the conversation if I can tell it's going to be difficult. At the same time, I try to help support the people that do take the time to chat with me and share their perspective. So, I was chatting with one of the dealers who I've traded with before. He always has really nice stuff. He's one of the few guys that has good vintage basketball stuff. And he does this full time. He seems to be doing well even before the whole market explosion. So I feel like he's very much in tune with what's going on. So um, one of the questions this week that I asked him, I said, do you think what we're seeing right now is unprecedented even compared to the junk wax era? And he said yes, with the main reason being that you can't go to the store and find anything now. And he said back then cards were popular, but you could still find them. And from there we got to talking more about the current card climate. And he told me that he's cleared out a lot of his real nice stuff this year because he wants to move inventory while he knows the money is there. And he thinks a lot of people are going to get burned in the long run and get stuck with cards that are only worth a fraction of the cost they paid for them. And he advised me, he said, if you have really nice cards, sell them now and pick them up later when they dip. Well, I do have um, a few nice cards in the PC that I'm keeping that have gone up in value quite a bit, mainly my vintage stuff. And I agree with him that the best financial move would probably be for me to sell them now. I understand the logic in that. And I, in fact, I felt this way for a while now. However, I, you know, I don't do this for a living. I don't do this full time. I don't even do this part time. I would say I don't. Um, these are cards that I really like and I'm happy getting them for the price that I did, regardless of how much the value goes up or down. And um, once again, I'm not going to play the bubble prediction game. I know I've said that on past episodes. I'm not playing that game. And I'm not telling you specifically to buy or sell right now. In fact, I'm doing a little bit of both. It just depends on what your goals are in the long term. Um, The reason I even went into this to start this episode off is because I know some of you, um, with each passing week, you're finding yourselves in this situation where your cards have gone up in value quite a bit and unexpectedly. And my plan right now, you know, honestly is not to worry too much about the low point or the high point for the cards that I really like. I'm happy owning them. They're significant to me. Nothing in my life is really contingent on these becoming assets or being treated as assets. 
but we're all in different situations. And I want to share some of the different perspectives I come across from week to week from people that I feel are in the know. So um, once again, don't take this as me telling you what to do specifically. Look at your own situation and then take these different perspectives and use them to help shape your own. All right, enough about the card show. Let's talk about this show. Uh, Today, the plan is to breeze through a couple of recent hobby headlines, or really a few. I guess I kept adding to them. As usual, I'm going to share some mail. Spoiler alert, I bought some Pacers cards. And then I'm going to close the show by talking about an in-person transaction I had this week, one that went down outside of a Starbucks. So that's certainly something different. And you'll want to stay tuned for that. Okay, so this week's installment of Hobby Headlines is grading heavy. And I'll start with something that's been a bit of an ongoing story. On Monday, the sale of Collector's Universe, which, as you guys know, is PSA's parent company, was finalized. And this deal makes the company private. Um, Shareholders were paid $92 per share, which, from all the analysis that I've read, seems like a fair price to me. A new development in all of this, though, is that Nat Turner's investment group includes the Churning Group. I talked about them, you know, if that sounds familiar, yes, I talked about them a little bit last week. They just made a $40 million investment in golden auctions. So this group is going hot and heavy into the card market. And obviously the people in this group have a lot of influence in a number of areas, so it will be interesting to see if they use that to bring people to sports cards. We've already seen that Bill Simmons added a sports card show to the Ringer Podcast Network. He's mentioning cards in more of his own podcast now. I know he closed a recent conversation with Charles Barkley by asking Chuck about the current price of his rookie card. And it's still kind of surreal hearing some of um, of this on the sports shows that I regularly consume. And it looks like it's only just the beginning. Anyway, it will be interesting to see what changes start taking place at PSA now that the sale is official. I would caution people, legitimate change takes time. A lot of stuff is going to happen behind the scenes, but I'm excited to see where this thing goes in the next year. Okay, some other grading headlines. CSG, another grading company. CSG is now accepting cards for submissions. Maybe they can become the top Florida-based grading company. Although, as we know, the bar is set incredibly high. Um, Anyway, with CSG, like I said, they're accepting cards now. You do need a $25 membership um, if you're going to grade with them. I haven't heard a lot about them yet. I know they have a couple former graders from another one of the top companies. Apparently, they're talking up their use of AI as well. Um, I did a little bit of digging. According to Sports Collectors Daily, the company will be using, quote, forensic devices that reveal alterations and hidden details, end quote. Okay, so your slabs are ugly, but you got my attention. Speaking of startup grading companies that talk about wanting to use AI, more HGA cards are hitting the market. And I talked quite a bit about HGA back on episode 100. Well, Over the last couple of weeks, pictures of a few of their um, mistakes really have circulated on social media. Now, I'm sure it's a small percentage of cards they've graded, but those are the ones that are going to get the attention. So there was a Patrick Mahomes labeled card that 
was not Patrick Mahomes. There was a Bowman baseball card that was labeled Panini Draft. There was a Mark McGuire rookie that graded a 9.5 despite awful centering and a dinged corner. And the owner of the McGuire eventually came out on social media and noted that the corner was not even dinged up when he sent it in. So apparently it happened when the card was slabbed. Now, to their credit, HGA compensated him for the card. They used the value of a BGS 9.5. That was the right thing to do. Kudos to them. Um, But I, I saw someone talk about how HGA has two humans verifying cards and grades after they make their way through all of the AI stuff. Take that for what you will. I like the fact that humans are double-checking the technology. At the same time, though, the errors that not one, but two humans failed to spot, um, that's a little alarming. Now, as you know, I don't really do the grading thing, so this doesn't sway me either way. Um, I know the guys at the Pack to the Future podcast just submitted a few cards, so I'm excited to hear their episode about when they get those back. Also, shout out to those guys for making me laugh week in and week out. Those are good dudes. Check them out. Pack to the Future podcast. My last hobby headline today doesn't deal with grading, although tons of these cards will eventually get graded, but Panini provided us with a preview of the new Prism Basketball product. I retweeted that and posted that on my Instagram on Tuesday so you guys could take a look. If you haven't seen it, it looks just like the football release. I know that bothers some people that it's someone said, well, it's just a copy and paste of football. I actually don't mind that. I like the continuity between sports. Um, I can put my Pacers and Colts stuff together just like I did with some Fleer sets in the 2000s. Um, but anyway, it uses the football design. Beckett's saying it's a 300-card set. I still think they should have upped it to 400, but it is what it is. And the most intriguing part of this preview is a 15-card set called Prism Flashback that utilizes the 2012-2013 design. So I think it's safe to say that that's going to be very popular. And from what I understand, this is going to come out sometime in April. So stay tuned for that. Okay, on to the mail. First off, I had a couple small lots come in the mail this week. I won't talk a lot about those here, but I unboxed both of them in the same video on my YouTube channel. It's about 10 minutes long. If you haven't checked that one out and if you're interested, just search Wax Museum Podcast. Uh, You can watch it there and then make sure and click that subscribe button. I am very slowly growing that YouTube channel, so any um, subscribers from here on out I would appreciate. Um, I did tease another mail day at the start of that video because I happened to have it handy when I was recording. It was an encased card. Um, This is a Ron Artest jersey card from a 2004-2005 Topps Pristine set called Fantasy Favorites. And I usually don't pick up one-color jersey relics, and I think I might have the base version of this somewhere else, but this one really stood out to me for several reasons. First off, it's the refractor version, number to 25, so um, it just looks a lot better than the base version. You guys know, you know, a refractor compared to a normal card, there's just no contest there. Um, Secondly, Ron is pictured in his All-Star uniform from the 2004 All-Star game. That was the only All-Star game he ever made in his career, and, you know, 2004 was a great year for him overall. He made... Uh, All-NBA third team, he was Defensive Player of the Year, 
So like I said, you know, that allows me to commemorate that. And then also this card contains a red swatch from that all-star jersey. Um, yes, the swatch matches the picture on the card. It sounds simple, but it doesn't happen as often as it should. Um, my thinking, though, is that if they're going to use special swatches like all-star or finals pieces, they should make sure the picture matches. Um, Tops used this all-star jersey for several Artest cards that year, but I've only owned blue jersey pieces, and the East wore blue jerseys that year, so that that's more common. The red was more on the side of the jersey, so there was a lot less of those. I got this for under $10 shipped. I don't think that's a great steal or anything, but like a lot of other cards I picked out for my collection, it feels very significant, and it's not something you come across every day. The next piece of mail I received is another letter patch from a Pacers big man. Um, this is a 2019-2020 Panini Immaculate Nameplate Nobility letter. Um, it's the letter B patch of Goga Bataze. And, you know, the seller, of course, played the first letter premium card on me. Um, I've already lost two of these letters so far, and the price wasn't too far out of that range, so I ended up picking it up. And, um, you know, really, aside from a cheap parallel here and there, I think I picked up maybe four, maybe five Goga cards this season. Um, I've also had a couple people send me autos or parallels for my collection, which I really appreciate. But um, when it became pretty clear that 2019 rookie stuff was going to go nuts, I made a list in my head of four or five cards that I wanted. And I would rather just, if I'm going to pay a premium, I'd rather just get the get a handful that I want instead of getting a bunch of other stuff. So here's kind of what I wanted. I wanted a gold prism. I wanted an optic gold. I wanted either a prism blue or an optic blue. I wanted a nice patch early in the year. I wanted some kind of RPA. And I wanted an immaculate nameplate letter. And that used to be, I used to go for the Court Kings letters, but those are no more. So immaculate it is. Well... Um, you know, going through that list now that 2019 is over, if I'm looking at the Goga stuff I was able to, to successfully bring in, um, I struck out on both of the golds. So I'll have to wait for one to pop up in a couple years when, um, to put it nicely, things have calmed down and maybe Goga is not as hot of a commodity at that point. Uh, Prism Blue was hideous and expensive this year, so I skipped out on that one. I'm still looking for Optic Blue. So, you know, it doesn't sound like I had a great year so far, but um, here's some of the ones I did get, and I'm very happy about them. I grabbed a sweater relic card from Hoops Holiday early on. I grabbed an awesome hat patch from Absolute. has a big piece of the Pacers logo on it. Um, I've talked about it on here before. I like the Immaculate RPA better than the NT RPA, so I grabbed that recently. And then I just got my nameplate. So all in all, I don't feel like I did too bad with Goga cards in his first year. Okay, my final piece from this week, and really a late addition to the Mail Day segment. I, I already had everything written out, and then um, I came home, and this was in my mailbox. This was a 2003-2004 Upper Deck Exquisite Jermaine O'Neal jersey, numbered to 75. Um, and the reason I you know I didn't even bother preparing it originally for the Mail Day segment, I bought it on Sunday night. And it was coming all the way from California. So it shows up in my mailbox on Wednesday. The seller had sent priority, but you know, considering all the snow and everything going on, I was really impressed to get this card so quick. So 
I took it out of the box. The first thing I said was, this is a great looking card and I'm happy that I own it. Um, now, some of you might be thinking, why did it take you almost 20 years to pick this one up? And that's a good question. Well, I've been a patch collector for a long time. And a lot of single color jersey pieces really don't do anything for me. I kind of alluded to that with the Artest piece that I just picked up. You know, even if it's a jumbo jersey. But I've kind of relaxed that stance over time. And while I've owned 2003 Exquisite cards in the past, I didn't own any in the present, and I wanted that to change. So I feel like if I'm going to narrate the history of cards with my collection, I have to have something from one of the most iconic sets of all time. Well, as a Pacers collector, my options were limited. There were no Pacers RPAs in the set, because James Jones was a second rounder and, and he was not included. Um, Reggie Miller's got some really nice Exquisite cards, but um, prices are stupid high. Base cards have even gone way up. Um, you know, just that whole first year exquisite thing. So this pretty much left me with this Jermaine O'Neal jersey card. And there's been a couple on eBay this year in the $75 range. I think there's still one on there right now. They were solid navy pieces. I preferred the gold jersey with the blue pinstripes. That's what this one is. It's got two stripes on it. Um, it looks great. I got it at a fraction of the price. So, very excited about that one. Like I said, I got it right before I recorded, so I still need to take some pictures. And I'll try to get pictures from all these cards that I talked about up on my social media accounts at some point. If you're interested in seeing them, be on the lookout for those. Alright, before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to tell you a little bit about Fanatics. As you guys know, there are costs that go into running a podcast, so I join their affiliate program. Whether you're looking for signed memorabilia, or a Phoenix football set, or any form of sports gear, there's a good chance that Fanatics has it. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.tinyurl.com WMPod and click the Fanatics logo at the top. Shop as planned and the Wax Museum podcast gets a small commission in the process. It's a win-win. Once again, that's www.tinyurl.com WM Pod. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby! Okay, last week I talked quite a bit about hobby adaptability. And like I said, if you've been in this hobby for any length of time, you've had to adapt. And things are just changing and moving so quick now. And 2020 really forced me to enjoy this hobby in different ways. I've talked about that before. I had a blast. So, you know, everyone, a lot of people, I should say, I don't want to say everyone, a lot of people are really down on the hobby right now. The hobby is what you make it. Um, now, one of the ways that I've enjoyed myself, and I've mentioned it many times already, is that I've gravitated towards buying binders and small lots of cards on eBay. And I've learned how to do this and, and mitigate practically all financial risks. And part of the reason for that is because a lot of the junk has become valuable over the last year. So, uh, for example, there were some lots I saw earlier this year that didn't show enough to justify uh, me buying them. You know, maybe there was a, a single Iverson Tops rookie or a Dwayne Wade rookie in there. And, you know, at the time, maybe they were $10 cards. Well, now some of those are over $50, and I can spend a little bit more on these same binders. So 
I would argue that the current market and the her- current hobby climate has more or less enabled this new angle to the hobby that wouldn't have been very sustainable before. So uh, in some cases, the changes maybe are good if you want to view them that way. Um, Now, for those of you that listened to last week's episode about adaptability, you might remember that in addition to buying lots, I mentioned buying cards locally. And I said I hadn't done it before, but I had something in the works. Well, that's what this episode is going to be about. So here's the story. And it was actually a sequence of events that encouraged me to branch out in this way. I was looking for um, lots to buy on a website called OfferUp. And I really wasn't even looking for local lots um, because you can get items shipped from that website. It's, I, you know, I'm not trying to promote it. Honestly, I haven't had a lot of luck on there. It's kind of like Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace. I would say for the amount of time I've spent on there, I haven't had a lot of success. But, you know, you got to always look at all your options. So... I saw I was on there and I saw a decently priced lot of rookies of, of guys like Dirk and Dwayne Wade and you know Blake Griffin was in there too. And I noticed that the guy was about 40 minutes from me. So I thought, you know, if he's got if he's showcasing Blake Griffin rookies, um he's gotta have some other stuff, right? So I thought, you know what, you know, this lot is decently priced. I'm gonna buy it and you know, potentially he could he could have some other stuff and maybe I could dig through it. So I asked him though. I said, you know, what else do you have? Uh, because a lot of my great eBay deals have come from asking questions, either asking people for more pictures or asking if they have anything else for sale. Anytime I get a really great deal from someone, I usually message them and say, hey, what other cards do you have? And most of the time, you know, you won't know until you ask. So I asked him and he said. Um, I don't know how old you are to know of players I have, but I have over 100 cards of many players like Tim Duncan, Stephon Marbury, Allen Iverson, Sean Kemp, David Robinson, Gary Payton, LeBron James. Well, at this point, I knew I wanted to meet up for sure. Um, we exchanged some more messages. He even asked me if I had uh, a four-wheeler to trade, which I didn't. Um, that's kind of entertaining. So that's one of the, the new things I've run into on these types of websites. But, you know, to his credit, like I said earlier, if you, if you don't know, you know, if you don't know, ask and who knows. Um, so like I said, I've, I've never done this with cards uh, as far as meeting up in person, but I bought and sold stuff on Craigslist um, around a decade ago, more in my college years. And nothing dangerous ever happened, but just in doing that, I learned a few lessons that um, really, I could apply to today and to this situation. You know, for example, um, I was young and stupid at the time and put myself in some potentially harmful situations. Um, on more than one occasion, I went inside someone's house after dark, um, and I I had forgotten this next story. I told my wife for the first time this week, and there was a time though I was selling an acoustic guitar because um, you know everyone thinks that they can play guitar when they're in college, or they think that they're going to learn. Um, I, I tried, and I wasn't very good at it. But um, So I'm selling this guitar, and I drove to some dude's house at night, because he wanted to meet up there at his house, and I did. And I took it inside, and you know it was already awkward at that point. And he played it some, and then he hands it to me, and he asked me to play it. Well, you know, like I said, I wasn't any good, so... That kind of made things awkward. Imagine trying to demo a guitar for someone 
and not being able to play it. Uh, needless to say, I went home with my guitar that night. I did not make the sale. Um, so even though nothing crazy ever happened there or any of my other um, buying and selling experiences with Craigslist, um, it taught me to do every deal in the daylight at a public place from, from there on out. And um, even when I lived in Charlotte, I had a nice spot next to a drive-up ATM because I knew a cop parked there. So it like it served a dual purpose. Um, so fast forward to 2021. For this potential car deal, we agreed to meet after work hours at a local Starbucks. And, you know, I had Mrs. Wax Museum podcast tag along and we got expensive drinks beforehand. So she was happy. But eventually this other guy shows up and starts pulling this stuff out of his car. And it started, He's he's got this copy paper box, so I know there's some stuff in there. He's got um, a few binders, and then he had this framed piece that had like 20 cards in it. And that framed piece was probably the, you know, the most visible and the bulkiest piece. So I looked at that first, and there were 20 different LeBron base cards on it. And even just with a quick glance, I saw a couple of Topps Finest base, so I knew I wanted to go home with that. I already told myself, I'm leaving with that display piece. Um, so we take the box and the binder over to the tables. I said, just leave, you know, leave the frame in your car, I'll come back for that at the end. So that's kind of how much I tried to, you know, give him some confidence that we were going to make this thing happen. So um, we take the box and the binder over to the tables and he gives me clearance to start going through stuff. And I always, you know, you want to ask. I didn't want to just dive in. I said, hey, do you mind if I start looking through this stuff? Um, and he let me do that. And I really enjoyed talking with him in the process. You know, I learned that his name was James. So he liked LeBron James stuff, right? That made sense. That motivated him to collect him in the past. He talked about collecting with his brother at one point. Um, you know, he had an entire box of LeBron stuff. There were jerseys, there were magazines, there were cards. And I told him up front, you know, I'm not really interested in the jerseys, so let's get those out of the way. Um, and could I have made money on those? Sure, but I'm, I'm just not interested in those. Um, inside the box, there were a hundred top-loaded LeBron base cards. And I flipped through real, real quick. I noticed one jersey card um, there was only one rookie in there. It was a cheaper victory rookie. So I figured, you know, some these have probably been picked over at one point, even if it was years ago. Um, but I knew if nothing else, I wanted this for the quantity. Where else are you going to come across a hundred top-loaded LeBron base cards? Um, and there was some Panini stuff in there, but it cut off at 2010. So a lot of them were Fleer and Upper Deck and Tops. And I asked him, you know, when I saw the victory rookie, I said, hey, do you have any other rookies? And he said that he used to have two BGS9 LeBron Chrome rookies. I kind of looked at him like, you got to be kidding me. And he said something to the effect of, yeah, I know those must be pretty valuable now. So um, I think he said he sold those to somebody uh, a year or two ago, but the rest of the stuff had gone untouched. Now, the interesting thing is we all know in the last year, you know, a lot of this older stuff or cheaper stuff, um, you know, maybe it's not super valuable still, but uh, it's definitely more sought after. So people are wanting it. So, um, and I don't think he had bothered with to mess with this box for years, aside from maybe listing the, the Wade and the Dirk and a few of those things. So um, he seemed to really enjoy basketball and had good memories of collecting, 
but it was a a past phase of his life that he wasn't looking to revisit. So after the LeBron stuff, which that was a great way to start, um, I started thumbing through the binders. And there were three of them. They were mainly base cards sorted by player. Uh, One of them was a 90s binder. So you had pages for guys like Keith Van Horn and Brevin Knight. I love when I find binders like that because I, you know, you can kind of tell when they were constructed. And then there were also some Iverson pages. And those seemed pretty loaded just from flipping through them real quick. Um, I knew Iverson stuff was kind of going up. I didn't know just how much. And um, I was also surprised there wasn't really any Kobe aside from one rookie that I came across later. So either someone got to those in the past or he wasn't all that interested. Um, I didn't see any super rare stuff. You know, I'm flipping through that binder and there's a part of me thinking, you know, there's just that anticipation and that excitement. There could be a PMG or a credentials or something crazy on the next page. There wasn't, but overall the quality was there. Um, so I went through, you know, there was a 2000s, early 2000s binder uh, with players like Dirk and Duncan. So um, went through all of that stuff. The final section then was the small lot um, that I set out to buy in the first place with a few other rookies thrown in. So there was a Dwayne Wade Bowman Gold. It had some chipping, a couple Dirk rookies, some Blake stuff, a John Wall rookie. There was a Curry rookie that I didn't know was in there. And then the Kobe metal rookie, which I thought at the time maybe had some damage. I couldn't tell just based off the top loader it was in. Um, There was a pretty nice Jason Kidd collection. Nothing super rare, but once again, the quality was there. So I knew that I wanted it. And when we started talking price, he indicated that he wanted to sell the entire lot. And um, that's what I ended up getting minus the jerseys. I said, you know, leave the jerseys off. I'm not interested in those. That'll knock the price down a little bit. We went back and forth a few times. Um, It wasn't really all that difficult. We came to an agreement. Um, Overall, I'd say it was a pretty easy, friendly deal. And I told him up front, I'm going to move some of this stuff to pay for the lot. Um, Some of this stuff I'm buying low. At the same time, I've got a lot of work ahead of me and a lot of lower-valued stuff I have to work through. You know, I have to do something with all of these McDice cards, I have to do something with all of these Brevin Knight cards, and so on and so on. Um, From there, we chatted a little more about the NBA and the NFL, and we were both on our way. Um, For me, the fun was only beginning, though. I knew I had a lot of work ahead of me to sort this stuff and figure out what I wanted to do with it. At the same time, I enjoy that kind of stuff, and that's what I did that evening. I went home, and I just tore into it. Um, Before I went too crazy, I unboxed everything on video. So my, you know, me taking this out at my house is on video. You guys get, you guys will be able to get a look at everything I picked up. I haven't uploaded that on YouTube yet. It's coming. It also gave me another overview of what I had just purchased because I'd flipped through things really quick at the Starbucks and I broke that into two different videos. Like I said, those are coming soon. Um, and even then, I flipped through this thing so quick that I didn't, my second time through, I didn't even notice the Iverson Thrill Seekers that was staring right at me. So, uh, And you'll notice in the video, I just kind of casually flipped over those Iverson pages. And there's some pretty crazy stuff in there. So that's a snapshot of of how overwhelmed and excited I was with this thing at first. So 
Um, after flipping through it at Starbucks and then flipping through all of it for the video real quick, I had a better idea of what I had and I was prepared to run through things yet again. I know I'm probably not setting up at a card show um, for another month or another month and a half, so I don't want to price anything too early. Things move so quick now, you got to be careful with that. So I decided, you know, I think I can price some of this LeBron base. Most of it doesn't fluctuate all that much unless someone discovers that, you know, it's a Kobe shadow card or something. So there weren't any chrome ones, but I took out the finest and a few others that I think might jump, and I put them aside in their own little pile. I pulled out any that I might want for my PC, including the jersey card, and then I started pricing the rest of it, the lower-end stuff, uh, and stuff I didn't want for my PC. And along the way, there were a few surprises. So um, in this box, there were a couple partial rookie box sets, you know, and, and we... Back in 2003, we never really treated that stuff seriously. And even if you look throughout the years, that stuff hasn't been valued. Um, and a lot of them are still 3 4 $5 a card. But one of the sets that I looked at had um, LeBron being guarded by Kobe or vice versa. And it apparently sells really well now. So that was a nice bonus for me that I didn't factor in and I didn't know about. So... After I priced the LeBron stuff, it was back to the binders. I went through again and I pulled out any decent rookies or inserts that I could see. If there was any type of chrome base, I pulled that out too. Um, unfortunately, some of the Iverson rookies, the, the lower end ones, someone had priced them in the binder pages, but they had used a ballpoint pen. So even though the marking itself was on the outside of the binder pages, there was an indent, like you can look at the Iver some of these Iversons and see like $2 scratched into the card. So um, either I've got to, you know, I've got to disclose that obviously if I'm selling that or those might end up being PC cards and, um, you know, sell the good copies off while they're high and maybe buy those back later when they dip if I really, really want them. So um, the, I made one more trip through the binders at this point. So I'd gone through them three or four times now. And I pulled out every card. This time, no, regardless of player, regardless of card type, it was coming out of those pages. I removed any cool inserts or rookies that were left that I wanted for my PC. And then the rest of the base cards, the rest of the inserts, ended up going into a five-row box for the time being. Uh, filled up about half of a five-row box. Um, and figuring out what to do with those will be more of a long-term project. So that left me with a few more odds and ends. I went through that stuff or put it in a smaller box for later. I try not to leave a lot of stuff for later. Otherwise, it really accumulates and you find yourself having a problem. But there are times, though, where it's like, you know what? I just need some time to think about my best course of action for this because there's a lot of stuff I didn't know I was getting until I got it. Okay, so I hope that wasn't too scattered. Those, that was kind of my recollection of, of getting that collection and how I handled it. Um, if I were to give some final thoughts on this whole thing, I would say I think both sides benefited because the owner of this stuff told me that me taking all of it alleviated him the stress of having it and having to do something with it because these were cards that were just sitting at his house and he, you know, all in one moment, turned them into money that he can go spend on something else. And he didn't have to piece it all out. And then on my side, 
for this being my first um, Craigslist type sports car deal, I know I did very well. I accomplished several things that I set out to do. I wanted to unearth some lost cards, did that. I wanted to pick up cards for my PC, got a few of those. I wanted to learn about some sets and insert sets that I wasn't as knowledgeable about. I did that. Um, And then I wanted to get some cards that I could move as show inventory and make a little bit of money for some other PC stuff. So I did that. And then all at the same time, I I was able to create some content for you guys and hopefully share this, um, share something that you've enjoyed. Um, Also looking back, this has already motivated me to seek out more of these kinds of opportunities. And I, I recognize that a lot of them probably won't go as well. But it's going to be similar to finding lots online. There's a lot of work involved, but when you find one that's worth your time, it motivates you to jump back on and look for more. And like I said last episode, there's just a part of me that enjoys the hunt or the pursuit of this whole thing. All right, so there you have it. I think that um, our hobby desperately needs more storytelling, and I want to do what little I can to help fill that void, so... I hope today's story entertained you, I hope it informed you to some extent, and maybe it motivated you a little as well. Maybe there was something I said today that resonated with you a little bit, or maybe you've had a positive experience like this in the past, or maybe you've seen things go the other way, maybe you've been a part of a disappointing deal or a deal gone wrong. Feel free to share with me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed today's episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site. This works very similar to the Fanatics link in that you can go to www.tinyurl.com WMPod. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow that click. Um, We all do eBay, so this is a simple way that's not going to cost you, but maybe a few seconds that you can help support this show that um, I spend a lot of time on. And, you know, it's my joy to bring this to you, but there are costs that go with it, so that would help me out quite a bit. So once again, that's www.tinyurl.com slash WMPod. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.